Good morning. My name is Brad Evans. I'm pastor of Family Ministries here at Grace Bible Church. I'm married to uh, Susan. We've been married almost 24 years, and we have a, a daughter who's a junior, Rachel, and a son, Andrew, fifth grade. He's my little wild man. And uh, it's good to be here today. I didn't know I was going to be here today. Um, in fact, uh, I want to tell you a little story about how God works. I was meditating in my quiet time a couple days ago on last week's passage. If you're here last week, we talked about the central message of Romans is Romans 1.16, where Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, referring to the gospel, the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew also and to the Greek. That's us. That the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So I was meditating on this on our back porch. And I wrote in my journal, God, I don't feel like I've been living this out. Would you give me an opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) Would you give me an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel And would you give me boldness? Okay, that was two days ago. I wrote that in my journal. So yesterday I'm shopping at HEB and I get a phone call and it's Brian. And if Brian calls late in the afternoon on a Saturday, it's usually not good. Uh, And I can't tell you how much he wanted to be here. Brian, our senior pastor, is so gifted to preach the word of God and he was just raring to go and it, you know, we about had to put him down with a tranquilizer gun to keep him from being here. But he said, I just can't go. I just can't do it. You're on. So I hung up the phone and I'm standing there in HEB and my ice cream starting to melt, you know? (laughs) And I said, Lord, can we renegotiate this? (laughs) And he reminded me of what our speaker Friday night at I leader, Mark Yarber, talked about how the nation of Israel tended to put God in a box and tend to trust that they had the Ark of the Covenant, the gold box, and there was their God instead of depending upon God himself, instead of depending on the character and the nature of God. Have any of you you ever been there? Well, I was there yesterday because all of a sudden I started thinking, I don't have much time to prepare. And I got in a wad and I ran home and dumped the groceries off. I was short with my wife and man, I got to get all this together. And then I finally got settled down and the Lord said, will you trust me? (laughs) I've got this. This is not about you. Any of you ever go through that? God wants us to depend on him. This is about him. And thank you, Mike, for your prayer. It's about his word and the power of the gospel. It's not about me. The power of his gospel for salvation. We need to be reminded of this. Because it's far too easy for us to try to pull stuff off on our own strength. And as you're beginning this semester, don't think you've got this, students. Parents, don't think we've got this in parenting our kids. 
Leaders in our church, don't think we've got this in our own efforts. We need to be brought to a place, as Mark talked about Friday night, of brokenness and humility and dependency upon the Lord. Because that's when his spirit can work, when we allow him to be in control. And that's really where we're going to go this morning. Because last week we looked at the power of the gospel to change lives. And this morning we're going to look at the person behind the gospel. The gospel is the good news about someone. Who is that person? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the descendant of David, as we'll see. It's about him. Do you know him? Are you allowing him to be in control of your life? Am I? Please pray for me as I'm speaking today. I I need your prayers this morning. But we all need to be brought into that place of absolute dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Messiah. You know, I think to fully understand this, we need to see the backdrop of our own sin to fully appreciate how much we need the good news, the gospel. Paul certainly does that in Romans. He says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. I remember before Susan and I got married, I was trying to pick out a, a ring and a diamond. And uh, do you know what they did with that diamond to show me how beautiful it was? They pulled out this black cloth so that in the contrast the beauty of the diamond and all the light shed upon it and all the facets would would glisten and so to appreciate the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ we have to recognize our own condition that we are totally lost and in need desperately in need of a savior had an illustration of this a couple of weeks ago my son and I Andrew we were out uh, getting our deer feeders out and getting ready for um, the fall because we just love to feed wildlife, you know? And uh, <laughs> we were uh, putting our deer feeders out. And as you know, it's been a little dry. And we drove aclo- across the dam of this uh, tank. We call them ponds where I'm from in Missouri, but tanks. We drove across, and I saw something out at the far side of the tank. Uh, I saw these uh, cows, and these two cows had gotten in the pasture. There weren't supposed to be any cows in this pasture. The neighboring cows had got through the fence. You know, the grass is always greener on the other side, and they got thirsty, so they came down to this almost dry tank, and they got stuck in the mud. And they'd been there for a few days, and buzzards were circling, okay? And it was nasty. They were stinking, and... So my son and I, we found the owners and they came down and they threw a lasso over them and hooked it to the back of their truck. And it seems kind of rough, but they just yanked them right out of the mud with the truck. So that's pretty cool. My son and I watched these cows get (laughs) pulled out of the mud, you know, and and I'm thinking there's going to be an illustration this someday. So here we are. (laughs) But seriously, isn't that a picture of us? Stuck in the mud. And 
Paul tells us that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we need a savior to rescue us. This is the blackness, the the darkness of our sin that the diamond sits upon. This is us. And the vultures are circling. And the wages of sin is death. And if we don't trust in this savior, then we have to pay the wage of that sin ourselves. But Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel is that he died on the cross for our sins. And if we'll place our trust in him, we receive eternal life and he rescues us out of the muck. Can any of you relate to these cows this morning? Maybe you don't know Christ and today is going to be the day of salvation for you where you trust in Christ and receive forgiveness of your sins. But Christians, this can also be us as well. Because we can do our own thing and we can fall in sin. And some of you may be here this morning and go, yeah, I can relate to those cows. That's me. I've been wallowing in the mud of my sin. Christ's messages come to me. All you weak and weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. See, Jesus came not just to forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life, but to give us the resource through his spirit to live life for his glory. And so if you're here and you're a sinner, if you're wallowing in the muck, Welcome to the club. You're in the right place because we're all sinners. I probably sin more than any of you. We're all sinners. We're all struggling with something. So will you allow Jesus to pull you out? Will you allow the Savior to function as God intended in our lives? Because, yeah, we're sinners, but let's not stay there. Let's allow him To rescue us. That's what salvation is. Rescuing us. So who is Jesus? Does he deserve my devotion? That's where Paul's going to take us in the book of Romans. You know, if you summarize this book, if you look at it from beginning to end, you'll have the book of Romans. Because Paul in Romans summarizes the fall of humanity, our desperate need regardless of our upbringing our heritage of a savior and he points out the way God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners Christ died for us so this marvelous book of Romans summarizes our entire Bible that we're sinners in need of a grace but we've got a savior who is our substitute who died in our place And in the book of Romans, as we begin, Paul summarizes the book by, like I mentioned in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. And then in talking about the power of the gospel to transform our lives, he wants us to know about the person, Jesus Christ, who is the good news. And so he begins chapter one with telling us about the person of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter one. And just like you'd write a letter, 
you're going to have a return address and you're going to have a sending address on the envelope. And that's what Paul does. He begins with Paul. And I love how he describes himself. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. He said, I'm just a slave. I'm a slave, but I am called as an apostle. And I'm set apart for this gospel, this good news of God. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. God's word is holy. Concerning his son. Now notice all the names of God that we're going to examine. The names, I'm sorry, the names of Jesus Christ. Concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Who is declared the, here comes another one, the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Here comes another one. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom he's the means, through his personhood, the finished work of Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. Why? For his name's sake, for his glory. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you're the called, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, the called out of that muck so that we can live a life for his glory. Verse seven, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes this on his third missionary journey, about 56, 57 AD, he had a stopover in Corinth and he writes to the most prominent city in the world of his day. It's the Washington DC of the day. He writes to Rome, to the believers in Rome, because he wanted them to know the truth of the gospel about who they were in Christ, that they're saints set apart from the world for God, for service And he wants us today to know who we are. And he wants us to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But most importantly, as we begin the study of this book, he wants us to know the person behind the gospel. The son of God, the descendant of David, Jesus Christ himself. So who is this Jesus? Does he deserve my devotion? Is he worth? following. Let's examine this. So what's so great about this man? What's so great about Jesus? Well, first of all, when looking at the names that Paul describes, we read Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. The first name we see that Paul describes Jesus is that he's the Christ. We see this down in verse four, Jesus Christ Our Lord. Verse 6, you are the called of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the big deal here? Well, the, the big deal is the word Christ is the Hebrew word Messiah. Now, Messiah, if you're a Jew from this day, this would really get your attention. It's a little bit lost in our culture today. So let's try to understand a little bit what this word means. This is a very significant title for Jesus Christ. We see that the word Messiah is the title of Christ that the Jews had been looking forward to. And so when Andrew 
one of the men that Jesus would call to be his disciples, when he found him, he ran and told others that he'd found the Christ. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ in John 1, 41. We found not a Messiah, we found the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who is anointed for a specific task. In the Old Testament, the, some of the priests and kings were referred to by this title, but they were fallible. They sinned. In fact, if you look at the history of the Old Testament kings, they in large failed miserably. So they had the title, but they did not have the ability to fulfill this role. Jesus Christ completed the role. And he was not just a Messiah, he was the Messiah, the promised Messiah, who would come and return and reign over Israel. In Isaiah 49, 5 and 6, we read, And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So the, this anointed one, this Messiah, was to bring back salvation to the Jews as well as to us as Gentiles, the promised Messiah. And, and this, is, this is huge. He's the chosen servant who would redeem and restore not only the nation of Israel, but he won't stop there. He would bring salvation to the entire world, all who would receive the good news of the gospel. And we read in Daniel, who prophesied of the coming Messiah, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. What's Daniel saying? He's prophesying the return of the Messiah. He gave this in 444 BC. And if you add this up, the seven weeks and 62 weeks, it's 69 weeks. Each week represented seven years, which comes to 483 years. And so from 440 BC until 33 AD, the return of Christ, we have exactly the fulfillment of this prophecy that Daniel had given. And so the point in all this is for hundreds and hundreds of years, the nation of Israel had been looking forward to the return of not just a Messiah, a fallen king, but the Messiah who would restore Israel, who would reign and rule supreme. He's the one and only hope for the nation. And again, they've been looking for him for over 700 years years. That's three times longer than our nation has been in existence. That's a long time. So when 
he appeared. This was a really, really big deal for the Jews of this day. And it's a really important and significant event for those of us who have been grafted into the nation of Israel, Gentiles, and we too have received our Messiah. Jesus is also called a descendant of David. So first he's referred to by Paul as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Secondly, in in verse 2, he said, for which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, as we just read. Verse 3, concerning his son. Jesus is the son of God who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. John described this in his gospel. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of glo- and we beheld his glory, full of grace and truth. And then on down in verse 18, he talks about this Jesus who would exegete God, who would explain God. And that's who he is. Jesus, God in an earth suit, fully God, fully man, 100% God, 100% man. A descendant of David, son of God, who came according to the flesh. And we read in Matthew 1, he links Jesus Christ, the son of David, back to the Davidic covenant. This is extremely significant. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the reason he does this in Matthew, writing to the Jews, wants to tie in the reality, the truth of who Jesus is, that his lineage points back to King David of the Old Testament. Why is this significant? Because of the Davidic covenant from 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established for forever. So from The lineage of David would become a king and the kings after him were not able to live up to this until Jesus shows up. The son of God, fully God, fully man, the son of David. This is why it's so significant. He's not only Messiah, the the one who would return and rule. He is the son of David, the, the one that had been promised to fulfill the Davidic covenant And this is why Paul and Matthew and others make such a big deal of the genealogy of of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Isaiah chapter 9, we read about this passage around Christmas. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So God is accomplishing what he promised through the birth of this little baby in Bethlehem in a manger who's now grown to become a man. And he is fulfilling God's calling to to seek and to save that which was lost, you and me. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is also 
the son of David, the promised king who will establish peace and justice and righteousness on earth. Son of David, he's the eternal king of kings who will make all things right. So that's what's so great about this man, this God, man, Jesus, as we're talking about, who has the power to change lives. He's the Messiah. He's the descendant of David. He's also the son of God in power. Look at verse four, who has, who was declared the son of God with power who defeated sin and death by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord. A better translation of the Son of God with power. You could lump this all together. Son of God in power. That Jesus Christ is amazingly, incredibly powerful. He is God. He's the King of Israel by position. Psalm 2, it's an enthronement psalm. This psalm was read whenever kings were named to be uh, on the throne. But it is pointing forward to the person of Christ as well. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Does that sound familiar? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So what's so great about Jesus? He's God's son, but he's not only the son of God, he's the son of God in power. In his nature, he's God himself, fully God. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Mike read this earlier. Philippians, turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Actually, in verse 5. Paul wants us to understand Jesus in his power, who he is. He's fully God, he's fully man, and he wants us to see what God thinks of him and how we are to, in turn, submit our lives to this, to our Savior. And so in Philippians chapter 2, he says, have this attitude in yourself, beginning in verse 5, have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. Do you know someday this will be a reality? Someday, every man, woman, boy and girl will bow before Jesus and declare this truth that he is Lord. That the name of Jesus is above every name. And the beauty of this is that we can do this today. 
we can declare Jesus Christ. He is Lord. We don't have to make him Lord. But we can come under his sovereign rule and reign and allow him to forgive us of our sins and receive eternal life because he is the only one who can save. Philippians 2 talks about who God is, the son of God in power, that he has been appointed in power by the resurrection, Paul describes in Romans 5. Where's Christ today? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. What would he look like today? What would he look like if we could see Jesus Christ right now? Well, John did. John the Apostle in the Revelation. And I'd like for you to turn with me and let's take a glimpse at this Jesus today who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what will happen Someday in the future, in John's revelation in chapter one, we see Jesus and our tendency is to think of this Jesus, meek and mild, you know, kind of hanging out with the, the sheep and the bunnies. And let's see who this ruler, Jesus Christ, the son of God in power really is. Let's see what John saw in Revelation chapter one, verse 13. In the middle of the lampstand one like a son of man clothed in a, robe, in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. What was John's response? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man in awe at his power and his majesty and his kingship. That's Jesus, the son of God in power. Look at Revelation 19. Revelation 19, another glimpse of this Jesus. Verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true and in righteousness. He judges and wages war and his eyes are a flame of fire and upon his head are many diadems and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dripped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. Jesus, Son of God, reigning in power and will someday return as our reigning king. He's also Lord. Back in Romans chapter 1, Paul describes Jesus Christ as Messiah, as the son of David, as the son of God reigning in power. He also calls him Lord. Verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 7, 
Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Jesus Christ is our Lord. There's personal relationship. One of the best summaries of Jesus Christ and his lordship and his rulership and his authority comes from Abraham Kuyper. He wrote this back before World War I. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Have you come under his sovereign rule? Have you allowed him to become your personal savior? You know, for me, that happened when I was a little boy. I was nine years old. And I didn't understand all of the theology. But with a childlike faith, I understood that I was a sinner. And I understood that I needed a savior. Jesus says we must become as a child. And in that innocence, receive his free gift of salvation. And when I place my trust in Christ as a little boy, I experienced forgiveness of sin. I was adopted into his family. I was declared righteous. Romans is a book about God and his righteousness. And I was declared righteous, not by anything I'd done, but because I had received his son, Jesus Christ. So who is Jesus? What's so great about him? He's our Messiah, descendant of David. He's the son of God in power. And he is our Lord. Back to the cows. Any of you there this morning? Let's pray. Lord, we need you. And we just want to declare that we cannot begin to approach your throne, your holiness, because we are separated. There's a chasm from our sin. But the good news is you demonstrated your love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. Thank you for this picture that Paul gives us in Romans of Christ, our Savior. Christ, our Messiah, Son of David, Son of God and power, our Lord. And we just come to you now and ask you, you pray this for myself, for those of us who know you that we would realize the beautiful simplicity. It's about nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we come to you now. Needy sinners. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.